1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Paul is addressing a church like us, but differently gifted. Um, When we come to Jesus, when we say, God, forgive me my sins, and Jesus comes and makes you a new creation, the Spirit of God makes you a new creation. He comes into your heart, and he gifts you with a spiritual gift if not more than one spiritual gift, as he deems. He brings you also into the body of Christ. He makes you a certain part in a function, in a group of believers, not let alone in a local body, but also in the global body of Christ. You have been gifted, you have purpose, and you have meaning in the body of Christ. Without you, the body of Christ does not function as it should. Without you functioning as you should, if, you're, you know, if the liver shuts down the body, you're, we're not doing well, are we? And so you have been gifted. When that is functioning at maximum capacity, bringing life to the rest of the body, the Lord is glorified, who is the head over the body. Paul has been talking about this because this group of believers has been gifted in spiritual gifts. They all have been given various things, and they are using them, actually abusing these things. How many of you know you have body parts and and things, and and you can abuse your body and and cause damage to it? Anyone else? Take your fist and start hitting your face. That's not good stuff. You, uh, you know, you go smoke crack, you're going to have problems, right? You drink too much, uh, you're going to have liver problems. All this type of stuff goes on in our society, correct? Well, we can also abuse what God has given us. And, that, and that's what's going on in the church because they don't understand what the purpose and the function of being gifted is for. They just are enjoying the gifts. How many of us said, you know, we don't even realize what the purpose and the function of our body is until way later in life. We wish we had known that when we were young. Why did I do that to myself? You know what I'm saying? What in the world was I doing? Well, Paul has, is looking at this church and says, you know what, you've got to have, you have your spiritual gifts and you guys are all really blessed with those things. And, and what's happening in their church services is that everybody was speaking in tongues at once There were prophets standing up and prophesying. Women were yelling across the aisles to the other women in the church. Uh, There was people prophesying without head veils. They're supposed to be wearing head veils. There's people, there's just a lot of crazy stuff going on in the service. Very gifted, spirit-filled people, but they were abusing what was going on. And so Paul, in chapter 12, says, we're all part of a body, we're all gifted, it's the same spirit who does this stuff, however... Chapter 13 has to happen. You have to do everything you do in love. And that is what we do, if you're thinking about your body. Does this benefit myself? Does this benefit someone else? Is that what's going on? And so spiritual gifting, Paul's drawn this analogy. 
when I stand up and I start prophesying, is what, what coming out of my mouth, is it edifying the body? When I speak in tongues and no one understands it, everybody looks at me and goes, gosh, they're spiritual, and yet no one is edified. No one is li- uh, lifted up and gifted. And Paul's hitting at the heart. You can be gifted like crazy. You can give to the point of being burned, your body burned. But if you have not love, you've missed the whole point. And this is the thing that glorifies God. This is what glorifies God. And and it's also what the enemy is attacking day and night. What God has designed and bought you for as brothers and sisters in Christ is to love one another deeply. Amen? That is what he's called you for. And so when we walk in this room together, yes, the gift of teaching is happening because I think that is one of the things that it, the, the scriptures shows a pattern that, that edifies one of, one of the major gifts that edifies the most. However, when we walk to church, when we walk in church, we often have the mentality of what am I going to get out of it? Anyone? And if I'm not getting what I get, I'm upset. Me too, by the way. Right? But what, is, what does the scripture say? What does Jesus say when you walk into him? You're looking to what? Give. Who can I minister to? Who can I be with? What can I do? And it's not going to be like me. I'm a pinky toe with problems, right? Who are you in the body of Christ? Who's God made you to be? And, and, and are you functioning in that capacity? You don't need to be someone else that God hasn't created you to be. Yes, we're all called to love. Yes, we're all called to share our faith. Yes, we're all called to show mercy, right? Those things are across the board. But who has God made you to be in Christ? And are you obedient? And I kind of gave the women a hard time last, a couple weeks ago about going to the women's retreat. I did, and, and, and I, I wish I'd planned my vacations better so I can get out of town. But I said, you know, I hear from some people, I'm not going because... I'm uncomfortable, or I don't like, and I, and this, and this happened last time. And I'm going, it's not your call. It really isn't your call. You know whose call it is? What did Jesus say? What's he saying about it? Because you've been brought into, you've been bought, and it's no longer your decision. You say, Lord, what would glorify you? What would build up the body the most? And if me staying home is going to do that, if that's what you want, then that's what will happen. You see what I'm saying about our lives? And that happens with, Lord, what do I do today at work? Lord, what do I do as I walk in with these church? Lord, how do I decide what, what my function is in the body? Lord, do I go to this home fellowship or do I not go to this home fellowship? It's all based upon what, he, what brings glory to God. And what the world has done is it's taken church and it's flipped it upside down it says this is about me it's about consumerism it's about what i can get out of it and we experience death when we live like that because that's not what it's about it's about others amen and so paul's talking to this church who's extremely gifted but even in their gifting the focus is self-centeredness they're standing up and they're prophesying because that's what was worshipped in the culture and what they were what we see from the context is they were doing it because it was worshipped in society look at me so spiritual pride was a huge problem there people were speaking in tongues 
And they were talking, and, and, and we go, okay, great, you know, they're speaking in tongues, you're weird. No, that's a gift from God, but it was not demonstrated in love with interpretation. And so there's problems going on there. Love is not the motive for why they were doing what they were doing. And Paul's jumping in and saying, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Do that, yes. Don't lose that part of it. But you gotta follow the way of love. Because guess what? When you die, tongues is gonna go away, prophecy is gonna go away, all these things are gonna go away. But guess what's not gonna go away? Love. Love has to be the motive for all that we do and all that we say. And that will be a constant source of warfare and struggle within your heart and know that that's what happens every single Sunday, every time you get in the car to go to a spiritual thing, is love. Is love motivating me for what I'm doing? Because at the end of our lives, we're going to have that judgment day before the Lord where all the things that we have done will be laid bare and the motives for which we have done it. And we as Christians are not going to receive condemnation but we will have refinement before the Lord and the things that were done out of selfish motives or other things other than love will be wood, hay, and stubble, will be burned away and will be rewarded according to what we have done according to love. And Jesus said this, if you love me, you will do what? Obey my commandment. This is my commandment that you love one another. How do we love one another? The gifts of the Spirit. Fellowship meeting each other's needs, stepping out in faith, obeying the Lord, right? So that's the practical how it works. So verse 1, I mean, if we can even get out of verse 1. Follow the way of love. In chapter 13, go read it, what it says. Eagerly desire the gifts. And by the way, the gifts, that word gifts isn't in there. It's not there. It's, it's pneumaticus, which is kind of where you get the word pneumatics. We talked about this. It's It's manifestations of the Spirit. How God actually practically works out in the lives of His people. Earnestly desire that. The Holy Spirit working through the gift of prophecy, through teaching, through mercy, through helps, through organization, through the plethora of gifts He's placed within each of us. Praise the Lord for that, huh? You are gifted and you are need to be empowered with love to go operate those power tools, spiritual power tools God's give you, God's given you. Amen? And he says, especially the gift of prophecy. He just talked about love. They had a problem with prophecy, and so the problem, our, our tendency with looking at prophecy is to go, oh gosh, they're abusing it. Get rid of it. What is it? Like, what is the world's like heaviest person? Is it like, isn't like, 1,200 pounds or something like that. I can't remember what it is. And so if we were to look at that and go, my gosh, I'm never just, I'm never going to eat again. What? We don't look at abuses and say, therefore I'm not going to ever, and go to the other extreme, do we? And Paul's saying, you got a problem here in the church, but don't throw out what I've given you. Seek the way of love. It is for you. Prophecy. This is honestly, seek prophecy. You guys are into prophecy. It's right. The motive was wrong. Seek prophecy. And which is that having God's reason to actually define prophecy in here. And he's going to define tongues. So chapter 14 is really addressing the issue of tongues in the service and prophecy in the service. And these are important to us because they're gifts that um, are for you. And by the way, that sometimes you will operate in, like say, prophecy and not even know it. And so it's important here to, uh, he, 
let the Bible define the Bible. And, he, and so we're going to define what tongues are and what prophecy uh, is. So for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. If you are taking notes, there's note sheets in the back if you need any. I usually do a T-chart and I write tongues and then I write what it is on the left and then write prophecy on the right and then what it is. The Bible's going to describe what tongues, uh, tongues are, tongues is. Uh, here we go. Have fun with that. But it says, verse 2, for anyone who speaks in tongues does not speak to what? People, but to God. So when a person speaks in a tongue, and what is a tongue? Speaking in a known language, human language. So the supernatural ability to speak in a language that you do not know, God gives you this ability, and you start speaking in this language. Who are you speaking to when you're speaking in tongues? You're speaking to what? To God. Write that down. Think about that. Tongues are spoken to God. What is it, what is it when we speak in tongues? What is that called when, we, when we, we're talking to God? What is, that, what is the Christianese word for that? Prayer. prayer. Tongues or prayer. So, continuing on. He's educating the church. Indeed, no one understands them they utter mysteries by the Spirit. So tongues are prayers spoken to God, and what kind of prayers are they? They're uttering what? Mysteries. They're things that are hidden. We don't understand what they are when they're spoken in tongues. Amen? That's what he's saying. And he, he's going to compare and contrast prophecy and tongues. He says, but prophecy, here's the other side of the chart. If you're defining prophecy, verse 3 but the one who prophesies speaks to whom? Speaking to people. Tongues is directed towards God. Prophecy is directed towards man. For their strengthening, and notice what the purpose of, of prophecy is, for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And so you have a, a picture of uh, strengthening, which is that idea of a building up, that's edification. You see a building, building up. Encouraging, that's a sp to spur people on. And the idea is a, a pep rally by a coach in a locker room. That's the kind of the idea before. You know, we're going to go. We're going to get, you're, you're calling them to something greater than what they are. They're, there's to encourage, to infuse with courage. Right? And to console or to comfort. And this has the idea of coming around side and and probably mending broken hearts and to give uh, hope and faith to someone who's having, struggling with that. And, you know, so you see that purpose of prophecy. Tongues, we go flip back to Acts chapter 2. What happens, they are speaking in tongues and all of a sudden people are able to understand what's going around because they're spoken in their language and they're hearing according to Acts 2.42. Uh, sorry, Acts chapter 2. They're speaking in tongues and they're hearing them praise God in their various tongues. So tongues, they're speaking praises to the Lord, some kind of mysteries. They're hearing it and they're going, oh my gosh. And by the way, many of them glorified God and a lot of them mocked. Anytime you step out in a spiritual gift, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have people go, praise God, and you're also going to have people mock. Just Right, just expect it, right? It's going to happen. 
prophecy in their hand is speaking to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Exhortation is the word there. And anyone who speaks in a tongue, again, tongue chat, tongue side of the thing, what happens when you speak in a tongue? They edify themselves. They build themselves up. So tongues is, is directed towards God. It's speaking mysteries, and it edifies my own soul. We getting that so far? And then anyone who speaks, and who prophesies, edifies what? The church. It builds up the church. So you can see already why Paul is saying desire prophecy over tongues because love does what? It desires to build up others. Is there anything wrong with tongues? No, he's not dissing tongues whatsoever. He's saying it's great for you. But when you get together and you start speaking in tongues, so what? You're not helping anyone else, and that is the purpose why we gather. That is why we're here, to edify the Lord, to worship the Lord, to edify one another. And now he goes on, verse 5. So prophecy edifies the church. Prophecy is to be desired. It speaks to people, and it edifies the church. And Paul goes, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Now he's trying to speak to their language, right? Their culture. You guys are talking about talent shows and contests, which is greater. He says, prophecy, that's the one you've got to seek. Is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. Unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. And so tongues is going to edify the church when it's interpreted. And so therefore, if someone were to speak in a tongue this morning in our church, we would not shoot you, but guess what? It must be interpreted. That's the rule. And so Paul's laying down some serious things here, and he's going to get into it a little bit further. That's what edifies the church. Verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and I speak in tongues, what good will I be unless I bring some kind of revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? If I come to you and I start rambling on and naming off, you know, in some kind of tongue, what good is that? But if I come to you and I speak some kind of knowledge or prophecy, those things are going to build you up. Do you see Paul's logic here? And so we see uh, even, verse 7, even in the case of lifeless things uh, that make a sound, such as the pipe or harp or, or Gary's guitar, or I'm sorry, Larry's guitar, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? If I were to pick up Larry's guitar, which I will not because it is sacred and precious over there <laughs> and, and new, <laughs> and I were just to strum across it, you know, anybody of you not know how to play guitar and picked up a guitar and just go ding, 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 right? This is what he's, ta- he's talking about you. Right? <laughs> How will anyone know what you're playing unless you have distinction in the notes? But you, you put it into someone's hands like Larry, and he's playing that one song, and you, you all heard it, and I was like, ah. And there's a little riff in between the, in the song. Where I'm like, that's distinction, man. That is awesome. You know, and that, that guitar, the tones start to come out, and you're just going, that's what that was made to do. And it was edifying to my soul. So anyways, I, I just... That's the purpose. And so, obviously, I, you know, it's like me doing math with you guys. You go, you're just not making sense. I'm like, I know. They've got to add up. That's right. They do have to add up. Unless you're into quantum physics, I understand. But 
uh, yeah, lifeless things. You've got to have distinction in the notes. Again, he uses, uses a trumpet example. Verse 8, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So the trumpet has a purpose. The purpose is the call. The call is what? For people to do what? Go to battle. Just as tongues has a purpose to speak forth to do what? To edify in love. To move us to something to shift us in our hearts, to infuse something. There's a purpose behind the gifts. So it has to have distinction. Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who's going to go to battle? So it is with you, verse 9. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. You'll be just like those indistinct notes. Verse 10, undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them was without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. Any of you had time in a foreign country? Yeah. I was once in uh, Xochimilco, Mexico, which is like kind of a suburb of Tijuana, training to go on the mission field in the, in the Philippines, and I sat through uh, a, a, a service, and it was basically wah, 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 wah. God was talking. People in that service were saying, amen, praise the Lord, but I do not speak Spanish. I've gotten better because I love Mexican food, as you know. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? I did not understand. I, I, I picked out a couple words here and there. But all these brothers and sisters in the Lord were amening and yes, and they understood what was going on. But I was a foreigner to them because I was a foreigner to them. I did not understand. Amen? And the speaker's a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, which is a great thing. Notice Paul, he's not trying to quell their desire for spiritual things, is he? He says, since you're eager for it, church, most of what Paul is doing is he's directing zeal with this church. He's herding cats, right? I love Tozer's quote, I'd rather restrain a zealot than resurrect the dead. That's like, oh, that hits me. I'd rather deal with people who are excited about Jesus and, and going crazy and getting it wrong than people who just like are indifferent and that's the struggle I have with my own soul. I think the Lord is much more happier with a moving car, you know, and, and steering it and trying to, and, and just going then just like, meh, whatever, you know? And so Paul loves this church. He's frustrated, but he's going, hey, no, this way. Yes, you got the right idea, but you're missing love you're really gifted. Keep on desiring those things. That's great. However, here's the best application. This is how you're going to maximize this. It's great. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Verse 13. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what they say. So prayer, if you have a gift of tongues and you're in a small group or a church setting where we are allowing that to happen, pray for interpretation. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit 
prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And so another thing you can write down about tongues is you do not have a mental understanding of what is happening. There's a disconnect between your soul and your spirit. Your spirit is doing something that your soul does not comprehend. You're not messing with your intellect. This is not an intellectual exercise. There's not understanding to it. There's a spiritual element. Something is communicating from your spirit to the spirit of God. That prayer language. You don't. No, you don't. That's what he says. Uh, so it is with you since you're eager to desire his gifts. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. It doesn't understand. It doesn't understand. Unless the spirit, great question, Lori. Unless the spirit does what? It allows you to interpret. And that's what he's asking for. Pray for interpretation that there may be understanding. So there are things happening with our spirits that are disconnected with our bodies. I know that's kind of weird. What happens when you die? You bring in flesh with you, talking with your spirit goes before the Lord has given a new body. Your body gives you the ability to, to communicate uh, with who your innermost being is. When we die, that disconnects goes before the Lord for judgment. That's who you are. And so he's saying there's something happening there. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I also pray with my understanding. Yes, pray in tongues, but also pray with understanding. Can't pray in tongues all day. I will sing with my spirit. So you can sing in the spirit. Did you know that? But I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now in the position of an inquirer or unbeliever say, Amen, I agree. To your thanksgiving, so uh, tongues is, is thanksgiving to the Lord, praises to the Lord. Since they do not know what you are saying, how can someone around you doesn't know what you're saying or doesn't know the Lord when you're speaking in tongues say amen if they don't get what you're saying? You're in the Spanish service. You are giving thanks well enough. You are having an awesome time with you and the Lord. It is so cool what's happening between you and the Lord. It is great. However, but no one else is edified. I'm glad you're having your own worship service and everybody's attention is drawn on you, but what? No one else is edified, and that's Paul's point. It's great what you're doing. Keep worshiping the Lord. Keep doing that. But guess what? Keep it to yourself unless you can edify the church, and that's what he's getting at. I thank God. And now just for those of those, when we hear... uh, you know, this edification, be quiet, be, be quiet, be quiet. We want to go, yeah, be quiet, no more tongues, goodbye. Woohoo! next. Paul goes, what? I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Whoa! But in the church, and that word church is not the building, it's the gathering of the, of the believers, the iglesia, us. But in the church, when we gather together in this setting, Sunday morning, I would rather speak five intelligible words 
to instruct, that's teach others, than 10,000 words in a tongue. Talk about a guy who's incredibly gifted, incredibly gifted in the Spirit. And he walks into the room, and what does he do? Instantly trying to reveal all the gifts he has and pour out things so the attention gets drawn on him. No, he's seeking what will edify someone else the most. And he goes, you know what? It's better if I give five words of instruction, if I just teach someone, if I give them a memory verse, than to go on and on in tongues. Does that's love. Brothers, verse 20, and sisters, stop thinking like children. Paul could have rephrased that, but he didn't. So stop thinking like children in regards to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. What's he saying there? He's saying you're exercising tongues like infants. When we don't exercise our gifts in love, it's infancy in Christ. He says, but I want you to be infants concerning evil. How do infants relate to evil? They don't. They have nothing to do with it. They don't understand it. They just, they're ignorant of it. I want you to be ignorant little babies when it concerns evil. Amen? This is your, you can continue to do that. That's good. But I want you to start thinking like adults. And he's pulling it. You have the ability to do this, but love is what you're going to, that's the adult action I want you to have. In the law it is written with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people but even then they will not listen to me says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy however is not for unbelievers but for believers. Tongues is a sign for unbelievers. And this this gets to a really confusing uh, kind of progression of, of scripture because he's going to say tongues are not a sign for uh, believers. They're a sign for unbelievers, and yet it's extremely edifying for believers, which is the point he's making, which means this is a very confusing passage of Scripture. And so we got to kind of, what's he saying? And so we know from Acts chapter 2 that he's referring to when the Holy Spirit fell upon the group of believers, they started speaking, and what happened? They started speaking, and people started hearing the praises of God who'd never heard it before. And what happened at that moment? It was a sign to them that the, what had happened and been declared back in the Old Testament had come about. The Holy Spirit had been poured out upon His church. And so sign, the, the, the gift of tongues was a sign to the unbelievers that this is real. So when a person starts speaking in tongues in a church, Without interpretation, in a church setting, there's people who don't know the Lord. What in the world are you doing? It doesn't do anything. So you have to have interpretation. When there's interpretation, they're going to go, wow, what in the world's going on? God is here. And so Paul's basically saying tongues are really used outside the church as a sign. That seems what he's saying. So if the whole church comes together, he says prophecy, sorry, middle of 22. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but it's for the believers, right? It's for us. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in a tongue and inquires, uh, and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? How many of you have had that experience? 
you walk into a church service and everybody starts speaking in tongues and it goes out of control and you just go, oh, loony bin, what is goodbye, you know? And the unbeliever is going to be really uncomfortable. A person is just, what in the world is going on? Is that what Paul wants to have happen? Is that what the Lord wants to have happen? No, he doesn't. So it's kind of crazy. Oh, I lost my spot again. First Corinthians. Yes, that's where we are. It's 24. Yeah, 24. Okay, we're almost there. But if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among us. So if someone starts prophesying, if someone starts exercising that gift, speaking towards man, hearts are revealed. In other words, there's something supernatural happening during that service that is speaking to their hearts, and they're walking away from that going, there is no way that that person could have known what was going on in my heart, in my life, at my time. It's as if someone just had a window into my soul. And it's not a funky, weird thing. And I don't know how many times that's happened to you. You're listening to a song on the radio or a teacher on the radio. You're running into someone you, you hardly know but loves the Lord, and they speak something in your life, and you're just like, oh my gosh, it just cuts straight through to my soul. How did they know what was going on? You start to get a little paranoid. You know, the NSA, the, you know. No, it's the gift of the Spirit. The Lord's cutting through with word of knowledge or prophecy or wisdom or whatever it might be. And that's what edifies. That's happened several times in our, in our church. Through you and through the teaching of the word, there'll be someone who just all of a sudden they just start breaking down and you know God is speaking through them. I have no idea what's going on. And that's what they're talking about. That's what edifies. That's what builds up. That's what goes on. And so, desire of prophecy is what, he, is what he's saying. Really desire it. God is really among you. Verse 26, let's close this up. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Hey, did you know that? <laughs> Look at this church service. They all had something to give. They all had a song to sing. They had a word to give. I'd like to see that happen. I'd like to see that happen. I think the Lord would too. But everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it has to be done in decency and order. There's order to it. They were all going at the same time. No, that's not going to happen. Two or three at the most. Or prophecy. Oh, and someone must interpret. Sorry, you must interpret. Verse 28. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should be quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. So that's the way it is here at the church. If you have a tongue and there is no interpretation, keep it to yourself. No purpose. And we have to talk more about even how that works in our service. We don't even do that. Not that I'm going to be pushing it, but I don't want to clamp it, right? God, what do you want to do? What's going to glorify your people, right? So if someone has a gift of tongues and there's an interpretation, who am I to get in the way of that? But there better be interpretation. And guess what? Interpretation 
is not going to be, thus saith the Lord. Why not? Because tongues is towards what? And so what do you see in services when people have, are exercising this and they interpret it? What do they do? They say, thus saith the Lord. What is that? That's prophecy. And so Paul would come into this church that's gifted and say, hey, mm, these some things that need to be adjusted here. So, speak to yourself. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. So, prophets within the church. You're not going to have three sermons. Two or three at the most. Two or three people getting up and exhorting the church from the Word of God or from, from there. You know what I'm saying? It's going to happen. It's going to be a decency and order. That's what's going to happen. And, and guess what? If a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. So there was some decor. People who were speaking stood up. For some reason, I'm sitting down this morning. First speaker should, uh, should stop. Verse 31. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. So you can still use your gifts. Verse 32. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So Paul is addressing, use the spiritual gifts, use them in love, desire prophecy above tongues. If you have tongues, use an interpretation. Don't quench this stuff happening in your church. Let it happen, but it's got to be done in decency in order because the purpose is for the building up of the church. So he's addressing the worship services that are out of order, correct? And now he gets into a topic that I've run out of time, so I'll just read it and leave. Verse 34. Another. You planned this well. Christine and I were joking last night. It's going to read this. Women should remain silent in the church. And she was going to go, What? <laughs> totally. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, Lori, for it is a disgrace for a woman to speak in the church. Let us pray. (laughs) Different culture, different time, but timeless things. There was disorder in prophecy, there was disorder in tongues, and there was disorder as already uh, addressed in chapter 11 with the women in the church. They were on the wild side and kind of going crazy, and it was, it was irreverent what was happening. The church was usually divided into two sections. Men sat on one side, women sat on the other, and they were calling across probably and, and, and causing disruption, and these things were going on. Paul's saying, this is not, this is not glorify God. I think that's what it's going. Does it mean that women can't prophesy? No, because earlier in the chapter he says that women, when they prophesy and pray, need to have a veil. Correct? So this is not eliminating women from spiritual gifts whatsoever. This is saying that everything needs to be done in decency and order. And that's what Paul is addressing. Middle Eastern culture is very different than today, yet the principle is the same. Wives, are you submitted to your husband in the worship service, or are you going over their heads, or what's going on? And so Paul's addressing that as well in this wild church. Does that kind of give you a kind of uh, answer what I feel is going on? I don't, it's a lot of guessing here but they knew exactly what he was talking about. 
So women, I do not want you to feel that you cannot share within the church, that you cannot speak, but there's an order to things. And so uh, whatever you do, however you speak, do it in love and for the edification of others. Amen? And guys, you got to work on that too. But chief number one right here. Amen? So we're not all, so we're all in trouble. I'm just kidding. And he goes on, he knows he's going to get, after saying something like that, he knows he's going to have problems. So, in closing, or did the word of God originate with you? <laughs> or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet, or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they themselves will be ignored. He knows that the next worship service they have, a prophet's going to stand up and say, Paul's a false prophet. So he's just cutting it off. It's just, yeah, right. You know, if you're a true prophet, you're going to say, this is the Lord, because this is, the word came from me to you. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, and here's the end thing, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Are you open to prophecy? Are you open to the gift of tongues being exercised? I just want to, I struggle with it. So, but are we open to saying, Lord, whatever you have? And are we open to, you know, here's the thing. We say, we start opening things up. Well, then what happens is instruction happens following that, doesn't it? And so there's this balance of, of fear that I might not be, doing what God's called me to do, and you've got to step out in faith and actually start saying something the Lord has said. And then you have the risk of being shot down or feeling like it isn't, you know. And I think what Ramey says a lot, you've got to feel like it's a safe place. And I want that to be a safe place to where we can experience those things together and grow in them and not feel like um, we're in outer space. You know I'm a word guy. And so if these things start happening, you know, and someone's, we're in a small group and someone decides, you know, hey, we really want to pray in tongues. Then pray in tongues. Let there be interpretation. But again, we're just going to have to work through stuff. It's just not going to be cut and dry. How do you learn how to throw a fastball 100 miles an hour on the upper left-hand corner of the plate? Right away? No, we got to grow together and just have fun and experiment and stuff. And so we're going to learn just like Paul's doing that. So I want to let you know that whatever God has for this fellowship, I don't want to be in the way of that. It's yours. Your king blood, blood bought it. So I know that having a Baptist background, Southern Baptist raised here, my pastor, John Swartz, when I was growing up, a little when I was a little kid before I went away from the Lord, you know, Southern Baptists, they, didn't, they don't believe, basically the gifts of the Spirit are still in operation, many of them. At least that's what the, the position was when I was a kid. Not that I had it all theologic figured out. But he was the most Spirit-filled man. He didn't even know it. You know what I mean? I mean, just, he loved people, and, and God spoke through him and used him. So, you know, I think like what John Piper was saying, I, I want us to focus on Jesus and the head and really... Say, Lord, 
anything you have for me. I don't care if it's tongues or evangelism or whatever scares me the most. I just want to open my heart up to it and say, Lord, if it's yours, just make my heart burdened the way your heart is burdened. And whatever you want, I will step out in faith and obedience that you would be glorified and your people would be edified. And let me experience the cross in that. And then the joy flows. Amen? So, um, you know, I feel like God gave me a word for us this week. And as I was reading, it just jumped out. It's from the song. No, I'm just kidding. It's Luke 13, 32. Let me just read it to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid, little flock, for the Lord, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid, little flock. Don't be afraid. I got you. Just put your eyes on me. Amen? So, be edified, be glorified this week. Now, weigh carefully what I've said. Amen? Anytime I open my mouth, you weigh it carefully. You take it against the word of God and you say, eh, or yeah. Amen? Lord, pour out your spirit upon your church, your little flock who you love and you died for. And I pray that you would infuse us more and more with love and that the cross of Christ would be before us and that we'd never forget that the way to life is death to self. And so help us, Lord, to walk as you walked. In the name of Jesus, amen.